Welcome everybody to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Cosenza. I'm your host for this third season, reminding everyone that El Cafecito is sponsored by the Latin American Studies Program at the University of Toronto. Without their help, nothing of this would have been possible. And now for my introduction, unity of the left, is that what we're going to talk about today? Spicy. Hola, hello Cubo. Mi nombre es Raquel Serrano. And I think the presidential, like the recent presidential elections are key factors in determining if a new left is rising in America Latina. Buenos días, chicos. Aquí quien habla Guillermo Paturi. And I just wanted to say one thing. Lula la. <laughs> so we're here to talk about this question, whether the left is on the rise in Latin America. That's the first question. And what are the recipes for leftist unions? And what are and what is happening with leftism in general in Latin America right now? Um, recently, last week, this is a very topical question because last week, President, uh, ex-president Lula from Brazil was uh, allowed to run again for presidency if he wants to by the Supreme Court. He was allowed uh, to do that because the Supreme Court unruled the decision of the uh, local courts in Curitiba that was headed by Sergio Moro during the car wash operation. So they basically unruled the decisions from the car wash operation. And now Lula is allowed to run again. And that was a topic that was really discussed in Brazil. Uh, a lot of uh, leftist media and even, uh, even uh, status quo global media kind of actually Uh, promoted and talked about a lot the resurgence of Lula and the potential uh, factor that Lula might win in the presidency against Jair Bolsonaro in, uh, in 2002, which is upcoming and it's close. So they've been talking about that, whether the left can uh, unite under Lula and defeat Bolsonaro, or should the left go under, go provide, should be provided with another candidate other than Lula, since Lula represents uh, this this history of the Workers' Party and what they call Lulismo, which is uh, the state intervention in the economy, uh, which end up, ended up be leading to inflation. Uh, so this is, uh, and not only that, but the, the promotion of social, social programs, the, pro the promotion of infrastructure programs, this kind of policies have been uh, promoted by Lula and which in many ways have represented the left, the pink tide in general, right? Uh, presidencies like Evo Morales in, 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 in Bolivia, uh, and now with many others, we, we see this similar policy. And, I, and, and, my, and my question is, do you all think, uh, given this, the allowance of Lula to, get, to run again, and the rise of leftist politics we've seen, in the region with figures like Alberto Fernandez in Argentina, like Luis Arce, like, uh, like, in, Me like in Mexico. Is there a rise in the, left, in the left in Latin America? Is that actually happening? I will say, yeah. I mean, if we looked at the map of, of Latin America, um, then we have, like, we will have Brazil. Uh, we already have Bolivia and then there's still a dispute of what's going to happen in Peru and, and Ecuador. And I think that if we, if a leftist candidate wins in both countries, then like there's going to be uh, a greater presence of the left in the presidential uh, appointees in like Latin America. And I also think that like Brazil has so much influence in the region because of its economic, its political, its social ties to 
other countries in Latin America. So having a leftist uh, president in Brazil is definitely going to influence how other uh, countries in Latin America do commerce with each other, do uh, public foreign policy with each other as well. So I think it's definitely something that we need to to be aware of and kind of like follow as as close as we can because as i said in the beginning uh we have we had had different uh, res, uh, recent presidential elections and peru is up next so and, and ecuador is up next as well so it's something that we need to to consider right Raquel, absolutely i agree with you entirely well as, as we all know there was this this phenomenon in latin america from the well the, the, the 2000s really, which was called the pink tide. Pink, because it was the rise of the moderate reds. So moderate red would be pink. So 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 center-left leaders such as Lula, Lester Kirchner in Argentina, um, Pep Mujica in Uruguay. Although that faded away in the 2010s, in 2018, I believe every country, save for Colombia, save for, not Colombia, uh, save for Venezuela, Ecuador, uh, and Uruguay had, had a conservative government in charge. Uh, that's shifting back towards towards the left. Really, there's no there's no argument about that. As as you said, uh, Leo, Argentina is now ruled again uh, by the Kirchners. Uh, well, not indirectly with Alberto Fernandez. Um, and in 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 Ecuador, there's a good chance that, as you said, Raquel, uh, a leftist candidate will will take charge. The other important countries are going to the polls. Uh, so Brazil is going to the polls next year, and so is Colombia. Well, I guess, I guess that will really define it, won't it? So if Bolsonaro wins re-election and the Colombian president uh, uh, makes his successor, uh, maybe not. But if, if the left does win there and Colombia, then we could confidently say that the left is back in Latin America. Um, but I just don't know if it will be as in much force as it was in the early 2000s. It's just because so much has changed since then, um, and so much needs addressing after a whole decade of conservative governments who really, who really destroyed a lot of the amazing advancements made by the pink tide in the in the 2000s. Yes, but I, I wonder now with this, as as you mentioned, there is a new left coming up, right? With Lopez Obrador in Mexico, with uh, Alberto Fernandez in Argentina, and now in Bolivia. I wonder, is this new left a left like the Pink Tide or is it different? Because we now saw that in Mexico, Lopez Obrador has disappointed many of his followers in terms of leftist policies. And um, we could say the same thing in Argentina. And Luis Arce, he doesn't have, in Bolivia, he didn't have time enough to to talk, to actually promote any of his policies or the promises he made during his campaign. Is this new left a new, a real new left? Or is it uh, still allowing many of the new liberal discourses that emerged in the 2000s? Oh, I absolutely think that it's this, this new left, Leo. I think it's a lot uh, more, well, a lot more to the right, let's put it that way, uh, than the pink tide was. Uh, well, I said in the beginning that the pink tide was the moderate reds, which it was, but I think that these are even more moderate. So uh, Fernandez, as you said, Leo, he isn't Cristina Kirchner, he isn't Nestor Kirchner, he is not trying to remake, break and remake the system. He's trying to, at least during the campaign, he he his selection as a candidate, um, he was uh, the the ticket leader, and Cristina Kirchner was uh, the vice president presidential candidate. That was to make the candidature more palatable to more moderate, even center right uh, voters, and that is happening a lot in 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 Bolivia as well. Luis Arce is a candidate that is less inflammatory than Evo Morales and is more palatable to the center center, maybe even center right again, uh, electorate in Bolivia. And uh, Raquel will be able to explain better if this is the case uh, with, with Arauz in Ecuador. 
but I do think that uh, this new left that is emerging is more open, as you said, Leo, to liberal discourses and a lot less inflammatory and even revolutionary than, than the pink tide was, with which had figures that were very inflammatory, such as Hugo Chavez, such as Morales, uh, even Lula in the beginning, uh, even though Lula became more, again, also a bit more palatable to the center as the years went on. I agree. I, if we compare uh, Rafael Correa, Andres Arauz, and the, uh, Rafael Correa, his, his campaign was uh, La Revolución Ciudadana. So with revolution, you already had there that component of like, we are going to make changes and we're going to make uh, radical changes. Uh, but then with um, Andres Arauz, it's not the same type of, of campaign. And a lot of people are saying like, oh, but Correa is gonna make all the decisions because Andres Arauz has, like, doesn't have the experience with like being a, a, an official with a high like job, I would say. Uh, but the thing though, is that even if, if, if Arauz doesn't have that experience, I think he has tried to make that clear that he's not gonna be like Correa. Um, and that's something that a lot of people are really interested to see, interested to see how he's gonna deal with that. Because Correa, we know Correa. Correa is someone that really likes to be included in the conversation, wants to be part of what's happening. So a lot of people are like, okay, so are you going to let Correa be part of your government? How is this going to work? And how are you going to make a difference between what Correa did and what you are going to make? And as part of like, like I was reading an article and they were saying like, if... Um, Andres Arauz wants to kind of like survive in like his, his presidency, he needs to make a clear statement of like the difference he's going to make between his government and Correa's government. Um, so he can get from, from one end more followers, but also be able to uh, make connections with the right, with uh, the different uh, groups that have influence in our politics. And this is something that we need to consider. And the other factor that I was thinking about is that the foreign policy situation in Latin America, I think it's way different, or it's a bit different, it's way different than uh, back in when, when the pink tide was a more uh, established thing. And I was essentially say that the role that the United States has right now is not the same as it had before. And also the influence of China, at least in Ecuador, the influence of China has increased in the past, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So these two factors are something that we need to, to consider when, when thinking about how is the, these new lefts going to emerge in Latin America? What are the differences between these new lefts and the, and the left that we had before? Yes, a lot of changes mark this new left. I think one of the big ones is the legacy of corruption. I think we saw in Ecuador with Correa, and then we saw, of course, with Lula now, and with even with Cristina Kirchner in, in Argentina, the legacy of corruption exists in the left. And that was one of the factors that led the right into power in the early 2010s, 2015. Um, that was one of the factors that led Mr. Jair Bolsonaro into power in Brazil in the first place, for example, the antipetismo, the anti-workers party kind of idea that rose from the middle class. And so the, the new left has been struggling and has to struggle with this legacy of corruption and defending some leaders that um, have been involved, have been even proven to be involved, or have been uh, falsely accused of being involved, like Lula, uh, of corruption. And so corruption has been a big also issue 
um, when talking about these leftist leaders in Latin America. But now going in Ecuador, um, Raquel, it's just, and, and, and just a reference, we talked about Ecuador extensively in another podcast, and this podcast is, is kind of like a general overview of many of the politics podcasts we've done in the past. We talked about Bolivia, we talked about Chile. So if you're interested, please note and go to these other podcasts. But talking specifically about Ecuador, we had a chance of having two leftist candidates in Ecuador, Riaco Perez and Arauz. Um, but that didn't end up happening, right? Uh, do you think that that would have made a difference? Was Perez a radical? Uh, would have, are, are Perez's policies that different from, from Arauz's? And uh, what did he represent for the left in, in Ecuador? I think that's a good question. The main thing that I would say is that Yaku Perez is not Correa. And he's not the chosen one by Correa. Because Arauz, until some extent, is. Like, he was chosen by Rafael Correa. And... The, the other thing is that Yacu Perez is part of an indigenous party in, in Ecuador. So there's also the difference between how they both um, work in terms of community, work in terms of indigenous rights, work in terms of uh, land rights. And what a lot of people when... So our election was... Uh, election day was really stressful because at the beginning we were told that it was going to be like the last two candidates were going to be Correa, uh, sorry, uh, Andres Arauz and Guillermo Lasso. But then as the our council was counting the votes, they were like, okay, no, this is like the, the trend is changing. And then Jacob Perez started to have more votes than and, um, Guillermo Lasso. So at that point of, 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 of the election day where we were looking at the webpage of this site that was doing all the all the counting and i was uh on twitter that day and a lot of the comments were like oh now i'll have to vote for for perez because he's not correa and that's the main thing that people were attributing to perez like he's not correa and he's not a, he's not going to do the same things as correa um so i think that speaks a lot about the influence that Correa has, that he still has in the country, even though he's not here, even though he didn't run for, for elections. Um, but at, on the other hand, we also had a lot of supporters. Like if we see the, the, the election results, Andrea, Andres Arauz has the majority. So it just, you see both these points where like a lot of people do support this and do support his plan, do support where he's coming from. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of people that are like, no, I don't want the same thing that we've been having for the last 10, 15 years. I want something different. And at that point, the only thing that was different was Jacob Perez. But with the new election results, that um, with with the new election results, we have Andres Arauz in the first place. And then in the second place, we have Guillermo Lasso. Then there's a, a race between the a leftist candidate and a right-wing candidate. And I really wonder what those that supported Yaku, what are they going to do? And in my opinion, I do think that they might have or give the majority of their support to Andres Arauz because there has been, um, since election day, there has been different attempts to uh, from Yaku to prove that the election was, that there was fraud in the election process. And I will say that their supporters are going to say, that are going to like vote for or support it out because they don't want to give their votes to someone that 
quote unquote stole their votes. So it's a it's a really interesting process and and an interesting thing to see as these two candidates were not uh, working with one another. Like Perez and Andres Arauz weren't really like a team before, and there are many differences between how they're both trying to manage their their presidential candidate plan. Uh, for instance, as I said at the beginning, there are differences in terms of how they're going to deal with indigenous rights and land rights and uh, with environmental rights. And those are like factors that they do disagree on how they're planning to um, carry on their their plan. Right. That, that's very interesting, Raquel. Very interesting. Um, and did I just wanted to add, um, I think we touched this, on this a bit. But I just I really want to reiterate the fact that how um, similar to what happened to to a lot of these pink tide leaders in the early 2010s, what's happening now, at least in my perspective, is that the the main conservative liberal uh, neoliberal sorry uh, governments in Latin America are convulsing right now. So, um, for example, in Bolivia, of course, Arce won and this uh, coup right regime was ousted. And just this week, actually, Genaini Agnes, who was a figurehead of this uh, coup regime, was sent to Pots jail. Under her bed, under her bed. <laughs> under her bed, she was sent to jail. Um, in Paraguay, another strong, strong, I suppose, uh, conservative regime in the, in the continent, uh, whose president is Mario Abdo Benitez, is facing mass protests as the population is sick of his handling of the pandemic. Uh, in Chile, Sebastián Piñera has been facing protests for, what, two years now? So the chances of him holding on to power are close to naught. Uh, and though I, I think the only really strong conservative government who's really holding on at the moment is, is Luis Lacachepo in Uruguay, although he is under intense criticism for being the country in Latin America who has least vaccines uh, delivered uh, thus far and, and vaccinated. Although Uruguay is one of the richest countries per capita, so it is a very weird situation uh, happening in, in that country. And, and even in Brazil, although there's no mass protests at the moment, uh, there is a growing opposition against Bolsonaro from uh, influencers from across the political spectrum. Um, so, and the entry of Lula into the race, it was hilarious to see how once, as soon as Lula was declared that he could run again, uh, two, one or two days later, he made a speech that was three hours long. It was a brilliant speech. I recommend uh, uh, anyone who understands Portuguese to, to listen. He speaks super well. But after that speech, Bolsonaro's stance changed completely. After six or eight months with an incompetent minister of health and power, he, he within a week of Lula's uh, speech, he sacked uh, that minister and just announced a new cardiologist who's actually a doctor for the post of minister of health, which had been held by a, uh, a military man for the past eight months. Uh, not only that, he started wearing masks in public and saying that he wanted to vaccinate people. Although for the past eight months, he has scorned masks and, uh, and well, um, and put doubt into the validity and efficacy of, of, vaccin of vaccinations. Um, so uh, I am there, I dare to say that Bolsonaro is scared out of his mind of facing Lula. I, I was wondering, what was the response? So there was this announcement that Lula was able to, to run for presidency. Um, what was the the population response to this? Because I mean, you guys, I know you you are happy about that, but overall, what was the main was there? What was the main effect on that on the, the population? In terms of the, I think there was a, a widespread support for Lula across the left in general. 
uh, he's still very much rejected by the right. So that's something that will never really penetrate into to the right. The middle classes are, are very much divided now now with the Lula case because um, uh, a very what sh what has been shown last week about the car wash operation was that it was not just an anti-corruption operation. It was a project to destroy the Workers' Party. <laughs> and it's been clear that it is a project to destroy the Workers' Party and the legacy of Lula. And so um, it has shown now that the corruption charges, at least with regards to Lula, were fake and were not standing. And therefore, the middle classes are starting to question themselves what, how, what, are the, what is the political project that, that Bolsonaro has promoted and has supported with, the, with his previous Minister of Justice, Sergio Moro, no longer Minister of Justice anymore? So there was a support in the left, or still a rejection in the right. But um, of course, Lula is a uniting figure in the left. So I think a lot of people uh, refer to his, his past successful policies as, uh, as a reference point for the left. And therefore, a lot of people unite behind him and we're happy for him to run again. The question is, um, will it be enough to unite the whole left behind him uh, under the, the, when comparing to Bolsonaro during the 2002 elections? That's the big question. Just to add up, to what you're saying, Leo. Uh, I think it was the same for you, really, because for me, it, it, and for everyone, it, it was out, it was a surprise because no one was expecting this decision to come out. It, it, it wasn't like, because for example, when there was a trial for him to be to, to be freed because he was uh, unjustly and he was jailed without proof, without evidence for nearly a year. Uh, everyone was expecting the date of the trial, uh, and and that was everyone saw it coming that he was gonna uh, be able to leave prison. There was a date for the trial and all, uh, but this decision that um, that rescinded uh, the every condemnation made by the car wash operation against him really came out of nowhere. No one was expecting it to come out, and uh, not less of all coming out last week. Um, so, so when it did come out, it was a big surprise for everyone and most people, as, as they will say, uh, the reactions were mixed. But it's just that the effect that Lula has on the country—it's it's hard to to, to to state really, because he's such a, a unifying figure in a way. Because although, and I'm sure you agree, so although I was very, well, not was because I was too young, but looking, studying his government, I'm disappointed that, um, for example, he, he, he promised that he would, well, really change the system. And when he got there, he did make alliances with the Saint-Tron, which is the, the big center coalition in Congress to rule. And that was a big disappointment. And he had uh, liberal ministers for, for the economy, such as Henrique Meirelles, that while that was disappointing, he... The effect that he had on the country was so positive and so, so everlasting that it, it, a lot of people have this this affectious memory of him. So, um, and the way to measure this, and there's a way to measure this in numbers because uh, prior to Lula's entry into the race, no no uh, poll would put any candidate even remotely close to Bolsonaro. Now Lula is one or two points behind him. That is insane to me. How how the the, the power he has and I do genuinely think it will be enough just because Bolsonaro is so utterly incompetent and his handling of the pandemic and the economy, he has nothing going for him. So when Lula comes in, not only will we have the affectionate memories of his, his stint in power in which Brazil was one of the most prosperous countries in the world, but we will see not an unprepared, corrupt, <laughs> retired captain of the army, but a prepared statesman who has sat in that chair before.
Yeah, that is right. And I think, um, and we can't hide our views. We're we're all leftists here. And I and I wanted to know also the situation in Argentina and Mexico. Uh, uh, Gilly, what is the what is the situation in Argentina? I know that there were corruption charges um, put on Cristina uh, Kirchner. I think because of her immunity, she wasn't put in jail. Um, what is the situation there in terms of the left? Do you think uh, do you think Alberto Fernandez has a potential of 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 being uh, of 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 remaining in the legacy of the Kirchners? Right. So yeah, uh, as I said in the beginning, he was he was he was made uh, he was chosen to run uh, for the president as president for the Partido Justicialista, which is it's really hard to explain as a party because that party itself isn't really anything there's a really extreme right wing a left wing and they all follow the image of, of Peron so it's it, it's really hard to explain but it, you can't say that Partido Justicialista is a left wing party but he was chosen as but that is the party of the Kirchners and he was chosen to run for president um because he he didn't have the rejection that Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner would have because she was intending to run but she 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 allowed Fernandez to run instead and kept the vice presidency to herself. So as I said in the beginning, the this candidacy would be more palatable to the middle classes and to people who identify more of the center, maybe even center right. Just because Macri's government was so was such a disaster, he he won in a landslide really. Uh he won in the first round. There was no second round in Argentina in 2019. He came in really promising not a revolution like Hugo Chavez or Rafael Correa did, but he did come in with a project of we're going to put the last people first, right? So he 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 massively increased taxation for the wealthy uh, and created many projects to, to assist uh, the, the poor in the country. What has been happening recently, really, is that his handling of the pandemic is seen by many as uh, not a disaster, but that didn't go well. Argentina, if I'm not mistaken, had the toughest lockdown in the continent. The country uh, closed its borders extremely early and paused, halted, really, all activities for nearly four or five months in, in nearly the entire country, in Buenos Aires, definitely. But then he had to open it eventually. And when he did, um, it, it was, a uh, there was the, 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 the disease exploded. So uh, what ended up happening, unfortunately for the country is that the lockdown was, was too severe and, and then it ended up not being enough. So not only is the economy really in the floor right now, but uh, the virus is spreading like wildfire. <laughs> Um, so because of that, he is his popularity has plummeted since the height that it had arrived in the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, there, there are doubts if, if he can bounce back. He There isn't a talk of him being ousted or impeached or anything in that sense. Uh, but it, it, it is important to say that he will be facing elections in 2023. So that does seem like it's far away. It, it really isn't. So he has he doesn't have that much time to get back on his feet, let's say. Um, and, and if he, and yeah, it, it's just difficult to say if he will be able to hang on to power in the 2023 election because Argentina has a history of ousting incumbents. It's not like the, the, the US, which just rarely happens. Argentina does. Uh, we saw Macri a couple years ago. So yeah, it, it's only a matter of who the Cambiemos, who is Macri's party, is going to field in those elections and whether or not Fernandez can, can hold on. But it will definitely be difficult. It, it won't be a landslide as it was in 2019. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and we see and we see a lot in what we talk a lot of themes coming up, corruption, environmentalism, indigenous rights, 
uh, income inequality, taxation, these common themes, they are, I think come, they come up a lot in the left and they have come up in the, a lot in the left in the past 20 years, of course, as always. Um, but I wonder, what are the big topics that are coming up for the new left in these next following years? What are the things, what are the big issues that the new left has to tackle, uh, especially because of its history and its history in governance during the, the pink tie? What are the the, the, the the issues that the new left has to tackle in the in the in the next few years in terms also in terms of left unity let's talk about left unity here um is uh what are the topics that we have to approach um in order to 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 conceptualize the left in the following years there are so many things uh the first one i will say they need to deal with the legacy of corruption they need to clean their their image regarding so many corruption scandals in so many different countries but then i think they also need to have a good like, handling of the pandemic. And that's what a lot of citizens are looking for. A leader that can help the country in terms of the economic um, situation and the economic crisis, but also in, regarding to, in regards to the health of the citizens. So that includes providing vaccines and making sure that social distancing measures are are being effective and, and so on, and that we are reducing the cases of um, infection in, in our countries. So having leaders that can deal with that, and I think that's gonna need a lot of um, regional unity uh, in terms of like getting to know what vaccination plans are working and how we can incorporate those, um, those plans in other countries. So having that uh, agreement in terms of how uh, Latin American countries can support each other in terms of dealing with the pandemic. And also maybe we can see more trade agreements coming up in uh, between Latin American countries and how that can, uh, that how that can benefit the economy of, of, of Latin America. So yeah, I think like the main one though is the corruption scandals because they, they need to, in order to start with a, with a new, stage or or a new left in Latin America, they need to get rid of what people still have in mind regarding the left, which is all the corruption scandals. How these corruption scandals were related to not only the economy, but also the health of the citizens. So paying attention to how these different countries are dealing with that might be a good place to start with in like this conversation of what's going to be the future of the new left and how are they going to how can they remain there? Yeah, um, I agree to an extent because I, I would separate um, for any successful new left regime to 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 rule and to have a successful stint in government, uh, especially after this 10 years of this conservative uh, wave in the continent, I think that any government needs to be generally uh, focused on four pillars in no necessary order, necessary like order of importance. Um, but well, actually there is one that I would put above all others, which is climate change. Uh, but then below that, no particular order, the economy, health, and foreign policy. Foreign policy, foreign policy, more in the case of Brazil. Um, well, so climate change, I think we all agree, it's 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 impossible to continue what we have been doing, and especially continue the policies of the right in the continent, which, well, which most of the, 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 the right leaders we've seen are very blasé, very indifferent to the effects of climate change and to mitigating the effects of uh, the climate crisis, especially Bolsonaro, who has actually a project, not he's not even indifferent, he has a project of actually destroying uh, the environment and, and accelerating climate change as much as he can. So that must be reversed immediately. And a real change is necessary immediately for the 
transitioning into into uh well for example uh green and renewable energy uh well a lot of other initiatives are required which i won't well really discuss here because it will take a whole episode just to talk about that um but then the economy it needs to really be uh redeveloped uh, because after well <laughs> the right has this incredible uh, superpower of destroying the economy. I've never seen this before in my life. After 10 years of success in the, from the 2000s to 2010, all the economies of all the countries Latin America are in shambles. It's, it's incredible, the superpower that they have. Um, so the economy must be completely redeveloped in nearly, I'd say actually every country in the continent. And then health, it goes without saying, we all know that health must be um, a priority right now. And lastly, foreign policy, that is more in the case of Brazil, just because Bolsonaro has has made Brazil, who was the really the the international leader of the region, into an isolated country who bows down to the U.S. So we need to reestablish uh, Latin America needs to unite and reestablish itself as a player in the international spectrum uh, to really fight for for initiatives that will be positive for the continents. And the best way to do that is together. So there needs to be foreign policy unity, and I think that any left government to succeed needs to have these four pillars as a priority. And to to add on those pillars, I think that we also we have also talked about gender inequality and um, racism and the lack of support towards minority groups. So these three and components are also part of the the four pillars that you're talking about because the economy, the environment, like environmental racism, and then we can talk about all the the income inequality and all that. So it really goes back to connecting these these four pillars to to the citizens and acknowledging how different groups are being um, put in, in, in disadvantage because of the policies that have been taking place in, in Latin America. Exactly. I'd just like to add another factor, just like Gilly said, health and just expand on the idea of health is that we've seen the mismanagement of the COVID crisis by many of the left-wing and right-wing leaders in Latin, in Latin America. And I think it's not a problem of the right or of the left, but it's a problem of how uh, governance is being established in Latin America in general with regards to COVID. And I think that's a, a topic that will have to be developed by the left and actually actively thought about the left in terms of alternatives out of the COVID crisis, because it's not going to be over um, this year and next year, and not because not just because the health effects will be mitigated doesn't mean it's over. We're going to have uh, the after effects of the pandemic lasting for long years after that. And I think the reconstructions of our countries following the pandemic is a really important topic for the left. And especially if in 2022 we have a Lula uh, government in, in power, what are going to be the policies in terms of reconstruction of the country following the COVID pandemic? What are, what are going to be the policies in terms of supporting these people that haven't been supported um, properly in the past uh, during the COVID pandemic? So these are some of the questions that I think are long lasting and that will last for a few time, for a few years here in the, in the questions of the left in the following years. And as you've said, many of these other topics that we already approached before, like environmental policy, minority rights, racism, gender equality. There's also topics that are always in the left that are present in the left and should be also embraced by the left as always. Um, I would like to wrap up this podcast. It was an amazing discussion we had on the left in Latin America and just a taste of what um, we could really discuss in depth. And um, there's of course a lot to discuss and we just scratched the surface. So we were gonna expand on this thoughts and as always, 
uh, stay tuned with El Cafecito. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Uh, thank you very much for participating, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.